Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eichen. He's Cody Clark. Cody, February is almost over. H- how are you reacting to the fact that this time next week it's going to be March? It, it's flying by, man. Time is uh, flying by. It's it's wild to think about it. You know, I just and having started this new job and everything, I had started at the beginning of this month, at the beginning of February. You know, a couple days in. So crazy to crazy to think that the month is already almost over i don't that's it's it's going pretty quick yep uh by this time on uh by this time next week it's going to be march 2nd because the leap year day is on a saturday it's going to feel a little a little strange that you blink and it's like what do you mean it's march and it's almost saint patrick's day Uh, it's oh yeah it it feels it feels a bit a bit strange uh the nba all-star game was last week games resumed on thursday the, the Milwaukee Bucks just broke the Golden State Warriors. Uh, that was the 2015-2016 team that went 73-9. Was that the 2015-2016 yes. team? Yeah, they just broke their record for the fewest games needed to clinch a playoff spot in NBA history. They did that last night. They have a 48-8 and record. But what happened also during one of the games over the weekend is the Atlanta Hawks played the Dallas Mavericks. And within the final seconds of the game, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the the of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Atlanta Hawks game is that there was a goaltending call, but there was a whistle, but the referees determined it to be an inadvertent whistle and then counted the basket because there was a goaltending call, but they continued to play and then they scored a basket shortly after. Uh, Mark Cuban was not happy about this and went nuclear on Twitter over the NBA officiating. Uh, Co- Cody, kind of set the scene about what exactly happened during that Atlanta Hawks-Dallas Mavericks game and what, what should happen next? Well, let me just let me just say this. You know, I totally understand where Mark Cuban is coming from because, you know, you feel in that situation like you were, you know, like you were, you were cost to win. And when you go out and play 82 times and you go out and play as hard as those guys do, you're fighting for a playoff spot, particularly if you are the Mavericks, you know, you look at what those standings, when you look at what the standings look like, Dallas is in, but there's that grouping of teams, you know, Oklahoma city, Dallas, uh, Memphis is there, not too far behind Portland, and and the Pelicans are, are right there as well. You know, there's this whole group of teams that's going to be fighting for those last two seeds, and every time you go out is really, really important. And so Cuban felt like there was, you know, Cuban felt like the game was taken away from him. And you know, it's tough because I I totally I totally get the protest of the game. I totally get the fact that. They determined, you know, that it was that they, you know, they counted the basket and, you know, you're mad about the whole situation. But I just don't know. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. But I mean, I don't know if we'll 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 see one of the of these one of these things reversed. Like, I don't know. I just you, you have the you have the human element with the referees. You know, you you have replay and things that you can you can go back and look at, and there's instances where you can and can't use it and all of those sorts of things. I get where he's coming from, but I just like, like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, and I, and I understand filing the protest, 
but I don't know if we'll see the NBA flip one of these things around. Like it's kind of just, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, look, yeah, maybe the wrong call was made, but you know, they messed it up in the moment. The NBA will use it as a teaching tool for its officials to move forward. And you know, the, they lost the game. We just kind of have to move on. I don't know how you feel about it, but do you feel like it should get overturned? No, no, I don't. Okay, so let's set the scene here. It was sa- it was a Saturday night game. The officiating crew, Trey Young went up for a layup. The shot was blocked by, I believe the Mavericks player was Dorian Finney-Smith. It was, they called a goaltend, but they ruled an inadvertent whistle. And in between that time, John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks got, got the ball and put, and put the ball in a basket on a putback. And when they reviewed, they called it an inadvertent whistle on the goaltending call, but allowed John Collins basket to still count. I mean, I, I understand that that's not an ideal situation, but Mark Cuban as an owner going onto the court to confront the officials is something that, you, you can't you can't really have and in, from an ownership standpoint he's easily the most visible and high profile of the owners i mean the rest of them are in luxury boxes he's in courtside seats he's in he's got jerseys he's he's known as being sort of like a highly emotional passionate guy when it comes to his team but this is actually the second uh protest of a game the first one ironically was by the other houston team by the other texas team the houston rockets during a double overtime game against the San Antonio Spurs, James Harden went in for a dunk, and the ball went through the basket, popped up, and came back out. The referees ruled that the basket was no good. They ended up losing that game by two in double overtime. But that appeal was that protest was denied, and the words from Howard from Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, saying that during the remaining during the remainder of the fourth quarter and the two subsequent overtime periods, thus the remedy of granting game protests was not warranted, basically saying you had plenty of time to make that up. Yeah, they had... This was within the final 10 seconds of a game. And they were only down by two. And if you've watched basketball, a lot of things can happen in 10 seconds. This wasn't a... This wasn't a, a goaltend that happened halfway through the third quarter, and it's like, okay, we have plenty of time to make that up. This was in the final 10 seconds, but I, I don't think it's going to get overturned. The most recent example of, of the teams replaying a game was all the way back in 2008 in a game that also ironically featured the Atlanta Hawks when then Miami Heat player Shaquille O'Neal was ruled that he inaccurately had fouled out. He had not fouled out, and then they replayed the final 52 seconds of that game the next time they met in March of 2008. So there is somewhat of a precedent for this, but I feel like it's one of those human error is going to be part of the game. You know, stuff happens and you move on. Yeah, no, I I kind of feel that same way. And, and I get, you know, his frustration level, but the fact that, you know, you, you can't be going onto the court to confront the officials and those sorts of things. That's where I kind of think it, it's, it's an issue there, but I totally agree. You know, that's the, you know, we have, we have, you know, you have, you know, you have three guys at it. You got three sets of eyes, you know, looking at the court and, and officiating the game, but sometimes, you know, things are missed and that's, you know, that's kind of just the way it goes. And I know it sucks. And when you're playing for millions of dollars and you're playing to, uh, you know, get wins and get into the playoffs and have a chance to win an NBA championship, you know, every win, 
every loss counts. And I completely understand that. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if you can, I, I don't know if you can, you want to set the precedent of going back and changing a game result. I guess I would understand if they wanted to just like you had referenced the 2008, if they wanted to, you know, make the correct call and then replay the last X amount of, you know, 10 seconds, whatever the time is, I guess I would be fine with that. But that's really the only situation I could see where you should do that. You know, I I know it sucks, but like I said, it's kind of one of those things where I feel like it sucks, but it happened. It's going to be used as a teaching tool for officials and teams going forward. And that's, you know, that's really all, that's really all you can do about it, I guess, in, in, in my opinion, or all, I guess you should do about it, in my opinion. There is potential discipline coming up for Mark Cuban. Uh, what would that discipline look like? Because you can't really suspend an owner. It's probably just going to be quite a heavy fine. Uh, yeah, I would think there's a fine. I, I don't think there's any. You may be, you, you, it may be one of those things where you, you know, say you can't be courtside for X amount of games or something. But I would, I would just, I would assume it's a monetary fine. I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be anything beyond that. I don't believe so either. The official explanation given by Rodney Mott, the crew chief, said, quote, the ball was blocked and reviewed. The ball hit the rim, so it was deemed an inadvertent whistle because it was ruled a good block. By rule, it is an inadvertent whistle. It's rule two because he, he being John Collins, was in his shooting motion. When the whistle blew, it was deemed a continuation, so therefore the basket counts. And he... uh Mark Cuban went on to Twitter saying that this is the same stuff that's been going on for 20 years is that they bring in these guys, try to hire them and two years later, realize they can't. I mean, you can't have an owner come out and criticize the officiating. I mean, like that's like a, within a player, that's an automatic $10,000 fine. If coaches and players say anything like this guy's an owner. Um, I, I don't know how much he's going to get, but I'm willing to say it's probably in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be. And that's, you know, like you said, it's something that you can't have. And you understand the frustration. You may, you know, you may even agree with what he's saying and agree with the fact that, you know, it, it shouldn't have been called that way. But the refs, you know, they they made that call in that spot. And like I said, you know, they'll learn from it going forward. And hopefully that sort of thing doesn't happen again. But you can't have, you know, an owner going out on the the court to confront officials and then taking, you know, blasting, uh, you know, the referees on Twitter. That's just, that's just something you don't want, uh, as a look from the league perspective. So you've got to handle that. You've got to issue some fines. I think it was severe enough that you could warrant some sort of prevent prevention of sitting, you know, courtside or something for X amount of games. But I think like, like we were talking about, it'll probably be a fine. It'll be, you know, uh, a reprimand, whether publicly or privately, a conversation that that uh, Adam Silver and Mark Cuban will have. But I don't, I don't see, you know, the the game protest is is gonna, you know, that'll fall by the wayside. Side the NBA is not gonna change the outcome there. Maybe they'll replay it out. I doubt it. I think it'll all just stand. Cuban will be fined, and and eventually we'll all move on. Now I'll say this: if you know it comes down to the end and you come down to the stretch of the season, you know, last couple of games and Dallas ultimately ends up fading or they, you know, they missed the playoffs by a game. That's something to where this will all resurface again. But for right now, Dallas is in. 
I like the way they're playing, so I see them staying in the field. So ultimately, I think this will just be a blip on the radar. But I guess there is a possibility of moving forward, uh, coming towards the end of the year, down to the last couple of games. If it gets there, uh, you know, you could see you could see this boil back up, I guess. Well, Dallas isn't just in. They're comfortably in. They're sitting right now at number 7 at 34-23. and 23. The eighth seed team right now, Memphis, is five games behind them. So they are, they've got quite the cushion between being in the playoffs and being out. But there isn't a lot of room for them to... Like, there's a lot of room for them to move because sitting at number two right now is Denver at 39 wins. and Dal- So seats two through seven are separated between just five games. That, that game, that might not be the difference between Dallas going from seven seed to out of the playoffs, but that could be the difference between Dallas being number four versus number six versus number seven because they're all so tightly bunched together yeah no that's a great point you know it might come into effect later on but you know the way they're playing right now the way that the standings shake out you know it's one of those things where i don't know if it's going to be that huge of a deal there is a one you know there is a one game separation between uh oklahoma city and dallas you know for that six seed oklahoma city in the six seed one game ahead but there's enough time you know to make that up i think that's something the league will look at you know this is not a last game of the season scenario where it costs you a seed versus another seed this is something that happens at you know for dallas the 50 what six seven game mark so you know there's time to continue to play out the year and i guess overcome that hardship uh, you know if you want to call it that speaking of overcoming hardships the Philadelphia 76ers have lost Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons uh, was ruled that he's going to be out indefinitely following an MRI on his knee. Uh, what does this mean for the Philadelphia 76ers? Does this Is this going to be a crushing blow, or is this just going to be a minor setback? I mean, I mean, I I think it's a big deal whenever you lose a player that's averaging almost 17 points a night. He gets almost eight rebounds. He's a eight nine assist guy a night. Couple steals probably too. Uh, I haven't looked at his stat line specifically in in a while. But whenever you lose that guy, and that guy's your point guard, that's going to make a big difference. Now you have guys like Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, Al Horford. You know, professional uh, basketball players been around a long time. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, now, like we're talking about, I mean, this is going to hurt them because Ben Simmons is a fantastic player. But when you look at where they stand, it, it is going to be interesting to see because Philly is in the the uh, five spot right now. You know, they're they're 13 games over 500, but the Pacers are just two games behind them. And Philly is only a game and a half behind Miami for the fourth seed. So I would think that Philly is in, you know, we'll have to see how, uh, how they, they approach not having Simmons. And the fact that it's indefinitely is a little bit scary because you do have some time left in this regular season, but he'll undergo continue to undergo tests and they'll try to figure out what that timeline looks like. But anytime you lose a point guard of that caliber, it is definitely a huge loss. I think there's plenty of talent around him in Philly that everyone else will be able to pick up the slack, but it is definitely a huge injury because Philly is right in that hunt trying to figure out, you know, 
who's going to jockey and move into a four seed to be able to host a first round game. And so I think that's really important. And they're really going to have to step up in Simmons absence to try and get themselves uh, here down the stretch of the last 25, 30 games, try to get themselves in one of those spots. Uh, Correction on that. It was an MRI on his back, not his knee. So correction on that. It was a back injury, not a knee injury. Uh, so just thought I'd clear that. Thought I'd clear that up. Uh, also, but I was thinking about uh, Jeremy Lamb. That's where the knee injury thing came from. Because Jeremy Lamb, during that, during his most recent game against Toronto, he tears his ACL, goes to the free throw line, hits both free throws, and then walks off the court with a torn ACL. That's 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 pretty badass right there. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's, you know, you think of the Kobe Achilles, you think of some of those other, uh, some of those other instances in sports where people have done that, you know, you got the adrenaline flowing. I've, I've, thank goodness, knock on wood, never had that uh, injury happen to me. I can imagine it's excruciating pain, but I also know how adrenaline works and the fact that, you know, you may be able to get through those moments, uh, and gut it out, but that's, you know, mad respect because that is a, that is a very painful injury and something that takes a long time to recover from. So the fact that, you know, you're able to tough it out and knock down some free throws and walk off the court, uh, definitely something that's impressive because I don't know if I could do that in that situation. I I know for sure. I wouldn't be able to do it. I know. I I know for sure. I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, a couple things before we, um, move on from the NBA. Uh, let's start with this. That Lakers-Celtics game on Sunday was everything that game needed to be. Jason Tatum went off. Bill Russell was there wearing a Kobe jersey. It was nail-biting down to the wire, LeBron hitting the last shot. Was that the best regular season game of uh, maybe not the year, but at least of like the month of February was that like the most exciting game of the month? I, I don't. I'm not going to say year, but since since February was that the was that the best game? That's uh, at the top of the list for me. I mean, you had you got LeBron and Anthony Davis. They're carrying this Lakers team. They combined for I think it was like 61 points. Uh, you had Jason Tatum, who's the young buck in Boston. You know, you have Kemba. Um, you had Jason. You had Jason Tatum. Sorry. Uh, who was just going at Anthony Davis, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, really, really cool to see his fearlessness in attacking LeBron, in attacking Anthony Davis. Uh, that's something that I thought was very, very impressive to see. Uh, he's, I think we've seen a maturation from him, and he's going to continue uh, to do that. Uh, obviously, Kemba Walker out. He's his day-to-day status with that knee injury. So, Tate, um, meant to say Tatum there, but his he goes for 41 points, uh, 13 or 15 from the line. I just thought it was really impressive how he continued to, in Kemba's absence, attack the Lakers, go at their best players, and really show why, you know, he has developed into one of the premier guys, one of the premier young guys in the league. Uh, it's been really fun for me to watch a lot of the the talent that the Celtics have in Tatum, uh, in Hayward, in Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. You know they've they've brought a lot of these guys in with their draft picks and just brought them up in that system. 
uh, with Brad Stevens and what they've put together in Boston. So that was a very fun game to watch. LeBron continues to amaze me. He is year in and year out just ridiculous. He goes 29, uh, eight rebounds, nine assists. I mean, the guy is a walking triple-double, near triple-double every single night. So that is – it's really, really fun to watch LeBron James still in year what feels like 25 in the league for LeBron to continue to be able to play at this level. But to see Jason Tatum step his game up and, and match those guys play for play was 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 pretty darn fun. Yep, LeBron James has been in the league for so long that when he was a rookie – Charlotte did not have an NBA team. Like th- that's how long he's been in the NBA. Is that his rookie year was 2003. The Charlotte, well, they weren't the Charlotte Hornets then, but the then Charlotte Bobcats did not exist until the following year. Like that is how long LeBron James has been in the NBA. But the NBA, even when LeBron leaves, if guys like Jason Tatum and Zion and Jalen Brown, if they continue playing like this, they've got a good crop of young stars. I. I was flipping back and forth between this and the XFL game and Jason Tatum is looking like the guy that he's not quite there, but if he stays on this trajectory, could we get 2020 Jason Tatum low key MVP talk? I mean, it's, you know, if he's able to play like that, I mean, of course he's going to be in an MVP talk, but you know, I just like the I just like his game a lot. I like his length. I like his athleticism, his ability to shoot the ball from deep. You saw his ability to take it at the opposing team's best players and attack those guys, which I think is a quality that you can't teach. You know, that's something that that fearlessness is something that you just have to have uh, in those big moments to be able to, you know, when you have the stars from the other team stepping up and making shots in those big moments to be able to answer those with plays of your own, I think is something that you just can't teach that. And so to see him continue to grow and mature and get confidence and have confidence in his game that he can rise to that occasion and rise to that level definitely lends me to believe that he is, you know, already obviously one of the premier young guys in the league, but to be able to have nights like that, I think is huge for him here still, uh, still early in his career. And to think that this was a guy that, on that draft day, Celtics fans were upset that Danny Ainge traded out of the number one pick, which allowed Philadelphia to get Markel Fultz. Everybody's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you taking Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball? Uh, here we are three years later, and I think uh, Danny Ainge has proven everybody that he made the right decision at that time. Yes, he, he made the right decision at that time. Now, Markel has played very well with Orlando this year, but he still has you know, a ways to go in terms of reaching the level that, you know, the level of success that we would define for a number one pick. He's played very well in Orlando, but I think he has some ways to go there. So yes, I trading out of that spot. I definitely believe Danny Ainge has proven that he made the right move there. 100%. What were your thoughts on Jalen Brown's performance? Jalen Brown went eight of 19 shooting, six rebounds, three steals. He had a pretty good game too. Yeah, Jalen Brown is. I really like the way Jalen Brown plays because I like the fact that he gives you that two-way toughness. That guy that can can knock down some threes. He's he didn't have the the best shooting night, uh, as you referenced that eight of nineteen. But you know that's still it's still decent. You know he didn't three for nine from three. 
only got to the free throw line a couple of times, but he did have a, a couple of assists, a couple of a uh, couple of steals as well. I think he's a guy that complements a roster extremely well because he's a guy that can shoot the three. He's a guy that's going to defend. He's a ridiculous athlete, and you look at some of the highlight plays that he's had in his time in the league. I, I really think those guys complement each other well. I, I really like watching Boston play when they do get Kimball Walker back. I think he's such a great fit alongside a Tatum, a Smart, a Brown. I really like I really like what the Celtics do. I think they're in uh, I, I think it's the third spot right now uh, with this Ben Simmons injury. You know, they probably be able to stay up in that spot. I think it's a three game lead on Miami three and a half game lead or four game lead on Philly uh, with Boston in that three spot. So, you know, they're not too far out of the Raptors in that second spot. So we'll see if they can get Walker back and make a late push. But I think, I think Brown is, is kind of a perfect complement to what they have going on and a guy that can really excel, excel, especially alongside of Jason Tatum when Tatum is having that kind of night. Uh, to be able to step up and have 20 points of his own there, uh, that was a, a, a really fun game to watch. Boston has a lot of really exciting young players, and the way the East is shaking out, this this seems to be the year of Giannis, but Boston is right there, along with the defending champion Toronto and Philadelphia. Like Now with the, with the Ben Simmons injury, they could fall a little bit. We don't know what's going to happen with Brett Brown at the end of the year. Like. The Eastern Conference, it looks like it's Giannis, and then a little, a little bit below them, between Giannis and Milwaukee, you've got Boston, you've got Toronto, and then there's a bit of a gap between everybody else. Philadelphia's kind of there, but you know they're, they're so inconsistent. Look at their home road, split, home road splits. 26-2 and two at home, 9-20 and 20 on the road. And if you're going to win in the playoffs, you got to win road games. you you, you got to win road games in the playoffs, and so far, they have easily the worst home road advantage in like it just like the home road splits between Philadelphia are jarring. Like how are you unstoppable at home and so far below 500 on the road? Well, I mean, nine and 20, you look at that nine and 20 mark. I mean, that I mean, that's down. That's, you know, Knicks Pistons Cavaliers territory. And they're, you know, three of the worst teams in the Eastern conference. So they're fantastic at home. And that is, that has bolstered them this year, but they've definitely got to figure that out. I, I, I'm really interested to see Toronto because I really love what the Raptors have, but I think they're really going to miss Kawhi when they get to the playoffs. And, you know, that said, I mean, they have a better record without Kawhi Leonard than the team who got Kawhi Leonard has. Toronto at 42 and 15, the Clippers at 37 and 19. And, Toronto has a great roster, and I really like what Nick Nurse has done, but I just can't help but think that they are really going to miss a player of Kawhi's caliber in the playoffs. I like what Toronto's doing. They're in the two-seed right now. I see them holding on to that, but then I'm very interested to see how it plays out in the playoffs because you take a guy like Kawhi Leonard out of the mix. They're playing very well right now, and I think they'll be able to continue to keep that up. But like we've saw, like we've seen with Milwaukee, you know, it is a different, it is just a different level of intensity. It's a different level of strategy when you get to the playoffs. And so I am fascinated to see how the East plays out because as I really like Philly's roster, but are they going to be healthy? You know, Miami, Br- Miami making a few of those changes and trying to figure out 
you know, hey, we don't have a ton of, you know, we don't have a ton of playoff experience, but our young guys right now are really carrying us. Toronto, you know, what does that look like in the playoffs without a Kawhi Leonard? But they have shown that they can win without Kawhi and continue to do so. That roster has just picked up the slack, and that's with Kyle Lowry being in and out with injuries as well. So there's a lot of interesting storylines in the East. The way Milwaukee has played, you'd think it's 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 theirs to lose, but you just never know because you have a, a talented Boston team right there, an experienced Philadelphia team. You look at those top four or five seeds, and then you look at an, at an Indiana who's playing well, and Oladipo continues to find his groove and get back in the swing of things after missing uh, time with his his knee injury. So losing Lamb is going to hurt the Pacers, but that's a dangerous team as well. So it's 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 going to be a fun stretch down the stretch in the East, and I'm just so fascinated to watch that Toronto team because you're not going to have a guy like Kawhi, but they just continue to 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 buzzsaw right along without him. And it's, I think I'm very interested to see, especially if they could match up with a, with a Giannis in Milwaukee, if it were to end up getting to that point, you know, what that would look like without Kawhi Leonard. Toronto is six games behind Milwaukee at 42 and 15, but they're only three games ahead of Boston. Boston is 39 and 17. Hey, they might, they might catch them right now. They're eight and two in their last 10 games is Boston. Uh, you know, they might they might end up catching him. And now that we're fully into the second half of the NBA season post-All-Star, we're going to look at, let's make a bold prediction for the last stretch run, the last 30-something games of the NBA season. Okay, and here is, and here is mine. This might sound a little crazy, but, especially with the role, especially with the role that they're on now, but, okay, Cody, I know this is going to sound nuts, but, the Los Angeles Lakers will finish with a better record than the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, I know. I know. They're 48-8, and eight, and of their last 28 games, 13 of them are against teams that are under 500. But hear me out. Milwaukee, they've already wrapped up the playoffs. They have really nothing to play for. I could see them just load-managing Giannis and Chris Middleton and, you know, giving guys nights off and, you know, like they could slip up in a few games and Milwaukee could wind up with a... Uh, 67 and 15 record and LA goes on a tear and somehow the Lakers are the number one team. I know it's highly unlikely, but I'm just going to roll with it and, and just see what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a bull. That's an interesting one. I think this is not really bold. They're right on the cusp, but I think the Pelicans are going to play their way into the playoffs and they are going to give, one of those top seeds trouble, but the way, you know, you're seeing in new Orleans, I, I think with, with Zion coming on, you know, you're seeing that vision that I think David Griffin had putting that team together. I think that's why they didn't trade a guy like JJ Redick and that kind of stuff. They wanted to see what this group could do because, you know, they thought they would have Zion right away. And so they kind of put the team together with that in mind. And then when he gets hurt and he misses all that time, it, it didn't look good for them at the start, but they have gotten hot. They're seven and three in their last 10 games. They just throttled the Warriors. Zion's playing really well. I think the Pelicans are going to play their way in and, and, and snag one of those final spots. And, you know, you get in a team like that, they kind of get hot late. Might be fun to see them go up against one of those, uh, 
one of those top seeds in the Western Conference uh, if they can play their way in. Is If they make the playoffs, let's just say that Memphis falls a little bit and then New Orleans gets the eighth seed. Is that enough to give Zion Rookie of the Year, or is it still John Morant's to lose? Uh, I would say Morant because I think you're going to have – you're going to have a situation where, you know, Zion missed a ton of time. And Memphis is not, I mean, Memphis isn't going anywhere. I mean, Memphis is, they're going to hang around in that discussion the entire time. So, you know, if from this point forward, Memphis just totally falls off a cliff, then I, I guess I could, you know, then I guess you'd, I'd be, it'd be more justifiable to say, okay, you know, Zion, if they're able to play their way into the playoffs and Memphis fell off the grid, then that would make sense. But I think Memphis is going to hang around and they're going to be right at that 7-8 spot. And so I don't think it's going to be enough for uh, Zion to oust Ja Morant because of what Ja has done over the course of the entire season. And yes, yes, Zion has come in, but I don't think that would be right. If they continue on their similar paths, I would still go Ja Morant because he's done it over the whole year. If Zion plays every game, he'll have only played. I think he'll play. He'll have played less than fifty games, I believe. He missed. Let's see. There were seventeen and twenty-seven on January twenty-second, the day that they played. That's forty-four games, which means if Zion plays every game this season, he'll have only played thirty-eight games. That would be. In a non-lockout year, that would easily be the fewest number of games a a rookie has won Rookie of the Year in a non-lockout season. Right. I I have which to give, is, which have, is which is why I think that you know this is it, that it's Jaws to lose because he's put together such a good campaign has Memphis right there and they're going to continue to hang around. Jaws going to continue to pro- to play well. So I, I, that's where I think that it's Zion not – he doesn't have enough of the resume in terms of games played. If it's closer to 50 games, you know, that's going to be something where, you know, that you – know, you know, but the fact that it would be less than 40, I, I just – I don't think you could take it away from Ja and give it to Zion. I don't think you could either, uh, mostly because we, we watched Ja Morant take a Memphis team that – everybody thought was going to be bottom of the league, obvious rebuild. Like they're, they're clearly playing for the future. And right now they're at the eight seed, two games above Portland. Like this is a, this is a Memphis team that nobody thought was going to be good. And here they are in the playoffs. They'd get the Lakers in round one, but I, I, I have to appreciate the work that they've done in Memphis. And now when you throw justice Winslow in there, like, this is a team that if the development breaks right, Memphis could be a scary team in the next two or three years. Oh, absolutely. I, I really like the roster they have with Jaron Jackson, with Winslow, with Clark, with Morant. I think they're building a really, really nice young core. And, you know, it, it's something where, hey, you know, we're, we're ahead of schedule. These guys are going to play in big games down the stretch, you know, to try and hold on to a playoff spot. So I think, you know, that definitely only helps you moving forward when your guys can get that kind of experience with the young team that they have, they're definitely on the right track. I really like what Memphis roster looks like with those young guys. And they're going to be fun to see those guys grow together because we, because we already are seeing them play really well together. And that's only going to amplify when you're able to get that type of 
high leverage uh, experience early on in the, early on in your season or, or uh, your career, excuse me, that I think is going to go a long way for Memphis. They're sitting in the eight seed right now, but Portland, you know, teams like Portland and New Orleans are gaining on them. Who knows if they're still going to be in the playoffs come April? Uh, f- one final basketball thing before we move on to the before we move on to the NFL Combine and everything. How much of the Kobe Bryant celebration of life were you able to catch? Uh, I didn't catch a lot of it live. I've caught up with it here in the last couple of hours with a lot of the speeches. But oh boy, get your uh, get your get your tissue boxes out. That is what my uh, MJ's speech. Uh, so, uh, INSQ talking about you know the first time she met Kobe and Gigi. Uh, a, a lot of poignant stuff, particularly from Vanessa Bryant, but everyone else as well was you know wow. It was one of those things that ever since ever since Kobe passed away, I've had I've had like weird feelings of. Why do I feel so emotional about a a guy that I've never met? I've never been in the same state as like I don't think Kobe Bryant's ever been to Iowa, but like I've I, we've never been in the same state. We've never met each other. Why do I feel this way? And the more I thought about it, it was like it's because growing up as someone that that loves sports and you and and you you get into things like football and basketball that you you become emotionally invested in people's success and failures. That's why people go to movies. Like, people watch movies and watch television to get emotionally invested in the characters and what they're doing. That's why people can get emotional when fictional characters die. And I I, I think maybe that's the reason why I'm not quite sure how to process how I'm feeling. Like, I, I don't know how to put into words. Like, I don't know if any of this makes sense to you, Cody. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I I'm I kind of feel the same way. You know, it it's a it's a figure that passed away that a lot of us, you know, especially like for somebody like me, you know, I didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan. That was the era, you know, that was the era before me. And so it, it's one of those things where people our age, you know, Kobe was kind of that guy. You know, he was that that figure in the NBA at that time that you know, we latched onto and we watched and, you know, for me being an Orlando magic fan and and seeing him take down the magic in the NBA finals, it's just, you know, I have so much respect for his game and so much respect for the way that he approached it and the way that he worked and the way, you know, the success that he had watching him, you know, he was kind of, you know, our generation's MJ in the respect that, you know, he was, on top of his game and on top of the league in many respects with the, the way that he played the game. So no, I totally understand what you're saying. I feel the same way. You know, it's one of those things where you never met the guy you've only ever seen him play on TV. And it's one of those things where it still has a a really big impact on you because you grew up watching a, a, a figure like that. And when you watch sports, you get emotionally invested into in, into the players and emotionally invested into their journey. It's when like that guy that's been in the league for 15 years, he's on, he's at the end of his career and he finally wins the Super Bowl, and, and, and you cry for the guy. I mean, you, you feel the emotion for him knowing what it's like. I mean, you're not in that game. You didn't win a championship, but you've, you've been there along the way. 
and when, right. and when you've been there along the way and you know that the guy and you know that the the hurdles and the obstacles and everything that they've worked there to get to that point you can't help but feel like you know what I'm a, I'm on this journey too and I'm happy and I'm happy too and I mean I guess maybe that's the way to describe it for me is that as someone who grew up watching guys like Shaq and Kobe and LeBron and the thing you know you you get attached to these guys and you're you're invested in them and you, you it's just it, it's been a it's been a rough month for for all of us and it's okay to and it's okay to feel those things about public figures and guys that you've never met. It's it's okay to feel that way. Oh yeah, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent agree. Uh, the uh, if you haven't seen if you haven't seen it, um, the there there are two things that stood out. One, uh, I don't know how Vanessa Bryant got up there and even gave a speech. Like the fact that she was able to stand and talk and like do anything was incredible to watch like how a month later celebration of life having to give his having to give a speech at his memorial my my gosh like the the strength that vanessa the vanessa had to to just go through with it and then oh yeah hearing michael jordan say when kobe died a part of me died like there was like that was a uh that, that was an, an emotional poignant moment of that speech because i had no idea that him and mike had that kind of relationship oh yeah well you know watch, watch all the videos you'll you'll get going and you just see the kind of impact that kobe had and the the hard worker that he was and the respect that everyone had for him not just because he was such a good player but because he put in the time to get to that level and be that type of player he was already blessed with you know all of those skills but he put in the amount of work to push that to the next level. And I think that's what you see, you know, you respect, you know, guys respect that level of competition and they respect that dedication to your craft. And so you're seeing that respect, uh, come out and that appreciation for the type of person that he was and the, the hard worker that he was, you're seeing, uh, you're seeing all that appreciation, uh, flow out from all these people. And especially, uh, this was, about as emotional as that first Staples Center game when they had, uh, when they had all the performances and Co- and LeBron James giving a speech and, you know, it's, it, it just kind of reminds you just how much closer sports brings everybody together, and just how you can, and how and how it makes you feel of, like, hearing soccer players and guys that played in Europe and, uh, the. The player for the is Ionescu is that how you is that how you say your last name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Sabrina Ionescu was a mentor to to Gianna and Gina Oriema and Diana Taurasi spoke. It's been it's a it's a reminder of just how much sports can bring everybody together, and I think that is something that I don't think we'll ever ever lose. Nope, I one hundred percent agree. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, let's let's move on to the uh, the NFL draft. The NFL Combine is coming up, and the first headline was Joe Burrow doesn't want to play for the Bengals, and now it's Joe Burrow has tiny hands. Oh and my goodness! His hands were measured at nine inches, and if and if you think that that's small, um, I don't really know the context of big or small, but he would be tied for the smallest hands of a first round quarterback since. Drum roll, Johnny Manziel. Um, 
<laughs> for, for comparison, Patrick Mahomes, his hands are listed at nine and one fourth inches. So really a quarter of an inch. I mean, we're talking about his hand size. Cody, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you get ready for the combine by geeking out over these numbers and you create buzz by saying, oh, you know, he, he's, he has a smaller hand size than whoever. Tom Brady's hand size is also like, I think measured at like nine and like 9.2 or three something. So, you know, it's worked out all right for him. You know, you want to know who, you want to know who, whose hand size is measured you know, over 10 inches. Uh, Mark Sanchez, Cody Kessler, uh, Heath Schuler. Dr- uh, uh, I'm looking at a list that has uh, Jim Drunkenmiller on it. Like, not exactly household names. I, I think Joe Burrow's going to be just fine. Yeah, Joe Burrow's going to be just fine. Uh, I thought the whole of Bengals, he's not overly committed to, he's not totally committed to him, was much ado about nothing. Cody, remember this time last year, people were like, oh, I don't know, Kyler Murray, he might go play baseball. We don't even know if he wants to play in the NFL. Like, that was the conversation we had last year, and nothing's really happened yet. You know, I think at the end of this, this is much ado about nothing. Joe Burrow's going to go to the Bengals, and and then rinse and repeat next year. We're going to find reasons for picking apart Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and it's just a cycle that's just going to keep going and going. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, it's one of those things. Like I said, I mean, we're not even at the Combine yet, so, you know, trying to to drum up that interest, drum up those storylines, you know, make – turn that emphasis towards, oh, you know, Joe Burrow was the consensus number one. Is that not the case? And, you know, it's all of those sorts of things. I think Joe Burrow is going to be the number one draft pick. Now, it is interesting – because you look at the the or the situation the organization is in Cincinnati, I think it would be interesting if we saw an Eli Manning type of I do not want to play for X organization. I do think that would be interesting. But you know, I listened to an interview an interview Joe Burrow did with Dan Patrick. I think it was at the Super Bowl, and I just got the feeling that he's not kind. Of, he's not the type of guy that. I mean, yes, he wants to go to a situation. But one, he wants to be the the number one overall pick, and two, he wants he wants to go out and prove and show people why he is the best player in the draft and why he should be the number one pick or why he was the number one pick after the fact. He just strikes me as that kind of kid. So, you know, I guess you know you always want to go to a good situation, end up in a good situation. But Joe Burrow just kind of strikes me as the kind of kid who says, you know what. I don't care what situation I'm in. I'm going to go in and turn it around, and I'm going to show you why uh, why that makes me the number one pick, or, or why I should have been the number one pick. So that's kind of that's kind of the way I I I feel like he is just by listening to a couple of interviews that he's done. I, I guess we'll just I guess we'll wait and see and figure it out. But I think he's going to be the number one pick, and I think he's going to show people why that uh, why the Bengals would. Uh, or are going to make a good move by taking him number one. And I think that they are, too, because the Bengals, remember last year, they drafted an offensive lineman out of Alabama, Jonah Williams. He got hurt. Uh, he missed the whole season. A.J. Green missed the whole season. You know, you, you we're talking about the Bengals like they've just been this complete horror show, but they're not. They've been to the playoffs seven times since Marvin Lewis got there. They didn't win any of the games, but that was more of 
bad luck and bad matchups than anything else rather than incompetence, but this was just season from hell. You just got to throw that out with everything that happened with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to get Joe Burrow start over. And I am really excited for the first time Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson play each other. Please, please put that at, put that on TV. I want to see that on Monday oh, night. Oh, no doubt. I want to see that on Monday night. Give well, and you a, got, you know, the the Bengals have a lot of interesting talent, especially like a Joe Mixon, a Boyd. Uh, you know, is A.J. Green a little bit older, but if he's healthy, is he there? I think there's a lot of interesting pieces, particularly offensively, I don't think they're too far off. If they can address some of those needs, I think they have some cap space to work with. If you can address some of those needs on the defensive side, you know, I can see Cincinnati making uh, making a, a quicker turnaround than maybe we think that process might look like. I'm not saying that Cincinnati is going to go from 2-14 and 14 and now they're 11-5 and five and fighting for a playoff. Like, no, of I, course. They could go, I think they could go 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, you know, ba- baby steps. Baby steps, uh, baby steps. Uh, let's let's look at the proposed p- collective bargaining agreement that would involve expanding the playoffs and going to seventeen games. Um, the players have are, at this point are not thrilled about the proposed changes to the playoffs and the regular season. I'm not either, mostly because it's it's perfect and just fine the way it is. Sixteen is a perfectly round number. The schedule is balanced. It's the same. Um, let, let's just leave it the way it is. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's all about, I mean, that all makes sense. I, for one, would like to see another playoff team. And I think that adds to some of the intrigue and drama of when you add another playoff spot, you're adding, uh, you know, you're, you're making an additional X number of teams, you know, fighting for that spot, which I think does make it does make it interesting. I understand from a football perspective the way the game is played, not wanting to necessarily add games in such a violent sport, but from a TV perspective with adding another playoff game, you know, adding, you know, if you're you're adding an extra game, that's added revenue uh, from an owner's standpoint, you know, they they, you know, you you know they got to love that. So, I think it will be interesting to see because I can see why you don't want to you're you're not trying to add to an already uh, very very violent sport, but at the same time, you know I think it would pl- would play well in terms of ratings, in terms of making money, in terms of the intrigue that it would create. So, as a player, I totally get uh, not being for it uh, because I, I can say that I don't know if I would be for it either. But if they, you know. It, I think there's a lot of money to be made there with the addition of it, and they're going to get a chunk of that. So we'll see how that pans out. Hopefully they just keep everything the way it is because I don't know. How are you going to schedule a 17th game? Like, do they do they have to pick their opponent? They're going to have to move the season. It's going to you know, it would – like, just the logistics of it, I don't know how that would work. I mean, because they've been playing 16 games since 1978. Like, this is – the format for 40 plus years before that right, it, and you'd have yeah, before you'd that have to it was 14 when right you're gonna have to add in when they're you know you have to work out who you know when by by weeks are happening and does you know does they stretch it to where everyone you know you, there's a lot of logistic things you have to figure out but you know i i'm all for uh i'm all for changing it up i like when leagues you know make some changes and shuffle it up it's just whether 
the the you know what extra or additional games or those sorts of things are the players going to agree to i think is what i'm interested to see because i'm always in favor favor of leagues changing it up but you know will the players be you know we'll we'll see about that well they have uh, one of the proposals was giving them two bye weeks which the NFL actually did try once in the in the early 90s in 1993 they gave everybody two bye weeks but they wound but the players felt it was too disruptive for the routines to have two bye weeks so they just scrapped it after that one season yeah so i can see why you know cuz you're you, Cody you were an athlete uh, i I found out at a very young age that I do not have any athletic future whatsoever. But, you know, people are creatures of routine. You get up and run at this time. Practice is at this time. Weights is at this time. So you know at 6 a.m. I have to run. At 7 a.m. I have to do weights. At 9 a.m. I have to do this. You know, you know, once you get into a routine and you're used to it, so when you have to disrupt that routine, it throws everybody off. No, it does. And, and that's definitely something where you get into a groove, you get into a routine and, and I totally understand that, especially, you know, when you're looking at that second bye week, you know, are you going to get that second bye week? Is your second bye week going to be the last game of the year? Is your second bye week going to be, you know, are you going to go, are you going to get a bye week, you know, week two and week five? That's definitely disruptive. Are you going to get a bye week, week three and week 15? Okay, that maybe be a little better because, you know, week 15, you might be trying to get some guys healthy, you're banged up. But again, then if you've won four or five in a row and you take a bye week, then, you know, that's not something that you're you're wanting to add. And, and you know, you can't control, you don't know how you're going to be doing when schedules come out. But it's just thinking about those sorts of things in terms of, well, if I get my bye week two and week five, that really kind of potentially disrupts what we're doing early on in the year. So it will be that will be something I've always been interested to see how they react because I would think that while you do want to uh, you do want to continue to be in that routine, the way football is played and the physicality of it, I would think a second week off in there would be good, but I'm not competing at that level and asked to to exert that much effort and, and get hit violently. So I don't really know about that, but I am curious to see how they go with that because I thought that would be uh, a viable option is to do a second bye week, but it doesn't sound like that's something that uh, players would be all that excited about. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens because the current CBA isn't scheduled to expire until 2021. Uh, so they have some time to sort of, you know, iron out the details and figure out how they want to do things and, and, and all of that. When you look at the NFL offseason, there's been a lot of quarterback carousel talk. Uh, the in, Your team, the Indianapolis Colts, are heavily linked to Phillip Rivers, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Because if you were to ask me the question, is Phillip Rivers a better quarterback right now, today, February 24th, than Jacoby Brissett? I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes. Uh, I'm on your side. I don't think the answer to that question is yes, because, you know, you saw Brissett play well and coming off a lot of injury as well last year. So, no, no, no. I agree with, with where Phillip Rivers is at. I totally agree that I, I do not believe that that answer is yes. And you're only on the hook for Brissett, I believe, for the one more year at the $15 million. You could 
You can draft somebody this year. You can, you know, you can look in free agency. I think there's ways to address it. You know, the only way, the only way that you could assure yourself a top pick and maybe, you know, Jacoby Brissett plays next year and the Colts are terrible and they get a top draft pick, but you would have to move off of him and, you know, Chad Kelly or bring in a rookie or do something like that. If you were going to almost, almost tank it. If Jacoby Brissett is playing, you're going to win ball games. If Phillip Rivers is is playing, you're probably going to win some games as well. But I agree. I don't think the answer to that question is Phillip Rivers is decidedly better than Brissett. So we want to bring him in and sign him to a a, 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 a two or three year contract. Maybe it would only be one. Who knows? But I'm with you. I don't think that answer is yes. And for that reason, I would stay with Brissett and continue to evaluate what you're going to do in the draft or free agency to set yourself up to find, you know, who you believe is that next quarterback to, to lead the Colts. Where, where do you think Phillip rivers ends up next year? Does he wind up somewhere or does he just not get picked up and he'll, and then he just quietly retires at the end of the year? That is a good question. You know, right now I'm going to lean toward towards, Right now, I'm going to lean towards nobody picks him up, and it ends up being a, a retirement for Rivers. I, I'm just going. I'm going to say that's how it ends up right now. Because the only two teams that have been heavily linked to him are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because Bruce Arians, and the and the Indianapolis Colts, because he's had relationships with Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator. Frank Reich worked with he worked with Frank Reich, the Colts head coach, when he was with the Chargers. I think that someone's going to bring him in, maybe maybe a Tampa Bay, maybe in Indianapolis. I, I don't know what the future holds for Phillip Rivers, but I find it highly unlikely that he's not going to be somewhere in 2020. He, he's prob- yeah, no, it's, yeah. that's a fair point. The one team that has the most fascinating offseason is the Dallas Cowboys, because in September, Dak Prescott was offered a contract that would have paid him around $33 million. And he said no. In the meantime, Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson was named was named the highest paid player with an average value of thirty five million. That record is going to get shattered by Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes can ask for literally anything he wants. And there, I don't think there is a number that exists that would be unreasonable <laughs> for Kansas. He could say, "I want seventy million dollars a year," and they're like, "Cool, done." Um, Jared Goff has a thirty three point five million annual average value and one hundred and ten million in guarantees. Dallas has come out and said that they prefer a long-term deal over a franchise tag. By the end, let, let's let's play this out. By the start of training camp, does Dak Prescott have a deal? I think yes, yes, he does. Oh, that's tough. I do think by training camp he has a deal. I don't think the Cowboys will want to continue to push it like that uh but you know the fact that he turned down the 33 you know leads me to believe that he is he is fully ready and you know he obviously doesn't want to be tagged because that value is you know not he's not locking himself into 120 million guaranteed he's just getting that tag for the one year but i i think that's something that you know i think he wants to work out a deal for sure but he's just trying to find that number. And you look at the numbers and, you know, you look at what Goff has done and you look at the games Dak has won and you can argue that Dak has more talent around him and you can argue that he's, 
you know, he has all those guys, so that's why he's better. But the Cowboys have still gone out and been ridiculously good on the field since Dak Prescott became their quarterback when they drafted him. So it's one of those things where, you know, you can have whatever opinion you want of Dak Prescott, whether you think they're winning because of him, in spite of him, he plays a small role, but it's everyone else. They're so good on the offensive line or the rushing attack. But the bottom line is he's won games for them. And so that's what he is. You know, he turned down the 33 saying, hey, I want something that's that's fair. I happen to think that that 33 a year number that they offered is something that's fair because I don't see him as the caliber of quarterback that Russell Wilson is. And Wilson got the 35. So I do see Prescott in that low 30 range. That's just me personally, but I can fully understand him wanting to hold out and try and get that long-term deal because he has, you know, he pretty much has the numbers to back it up. He threw 30 touchdowns. He had, he threw 30 touchdowns last year. He threw for almost 5,000 yards, 4,900 yards, averaged 8.2 yards an attempt. He had, Statistically, the best season of his career. And you would think when if you look at Jared Goff getting $110 million and 33 and a half, that's probably where he would want a contract, but he's not the only free agent. Like, here are other important free agents that Dallas is going to have to consider. Amari Cooper, Byron Jones, Randall Cobb, Jason, Wiss, Jason Witten, Jeff Heath, and that's just a handful. They could be looking at, of the 22 starters, offense and defense, eight of them could be gone. Like, this is a team that could have a lot of turnover. They have $77 million in cap space, and if they want to keep all their guys, they're going to eat a lot of it because Mari Cooper is looking at the five-year $96 million Michael Thomas just got. That might be where he's looking at. Xavier Howard of Miami got a five-year $75 million deal. That might be what Byron Jones wants. They're not going to be able to afford to keep everybody, so they're going to have to make some hard decisions on who they can and cannot afford in 2020. Oh, absolutely. And then you factor in, you know, okay, do we do we tag Dak and commit to these other guys knowing that we probably then couldn't pay Dak in the future and so he moves on, but we have all these other guys, or are you going to commit to Dak knowing that you probably have to then move on from some of those other guys? So I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting situation in Dallas because Dak has been firm that, you know, he, he wants what he feels like he deserves. I think he's, you know, he's 100% entitled to do that. I'm fascinated to see how that works with Jerry Jones because as we continue to go along and get closer to the year, he's going to want to get it done. But he also knows that they can't get all of these guys back in the door if they pay if they pay Dak Prescott that number. And so, are they able to make it up in bonuses and sorts of things that maybe they do it that way? that remains to be seen, but they are not going to have enough to bring all those guys back unless they're all in on taking pay cuts, which the way that all of those guys that we've talked about have played, they're probably not down to do that. And and I probably wouldn't be down to do that either. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out because Dak has shown that he has, he has committed to, Hey, this is what I've done. This is my resume. I should be paid accordingly. And that's fantastic. But I think that Dak will also then suffer because he will make that money that won't allow them to bring back an Amari Cooper or something like that, which definitely then 
hurts the the roster as a as a whole from that perspective. So is Dak able to then take the next step, another step from what we've already seen him be, and kind of shoulder that load? We saw it last year, but we saw a lot of of late game yardage and some of those numbers that he put up in some of the games. So, you know, it's Dallas is in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot and we'll see what they do. We'll see what they do. I think they will pay Dak, uh, but you know, they have, they have a lot of decisions to make about a lot of those guys. If you were looking at Jones, Cooper and Prescott, uh, Jones seems to be the odd man out here because they traded away a first round pick to the, to the Raiders to get Amari Cooper. You don't trade a first round pick and then two years later, just let the guy walk. And a year and a year and a half later, just let let a guy walk. Uh, looking at quarterback contracts, the the deal isn't done yet, but this is going to shatter whatever the highest paid quarterback record is. Uh, he could easily fetch forty million dollars a year, two hundred million dollars over the life of his contract. Patrick Mahomes, and we've all heard about what you, if you pay a superstar quarterback, then your team can't win and all that, but. Is Patrick Mahomes the one guy where that might not be true? Uh, he might be. I guess time will tell us because I happen to think that you. I happen to think that it's very difficult to be able to to put together su- sustained success when you have a quarterback making that amount of money because you have because then you have to hit on all of those other positions bringing in young guys drafting, bringing in free agents, and you have to hit at such a high success rate. But I think you could do it for a few years, but ultimately it's something that, you know, the Patriots have created something that I don't know if we'll necessarily ever see again. Maybe, you know, maybe the Chiefs can create something like that, but the difference is Mahomes is going to make 40. Brady was making in the 20s, you know, because he was taking less so that they could – fill out a lot of those defensive positions and stuff like that. So I think Kansas city could create that. I think they have the front office and the organization to do that, but you're about to have a quarterback make a large amount of money. And we've seen other teams that have done that. I think green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and what they're paying him. And, you know, they've hit some home runs on the defensive side of the ball. No doubt about it, but he is, you know he is eating a large part of that cap so Patrick Mahomes going to be in the same situation will Kansas City be able to develop that sustained continued success they just want a Super Bowl they're clearly going to be a good team clearly Patrick Mahomes you know is at the top of the league in terms of quarterback play but over the long haul are they going going to be able to put the team around him to consistently be able to be in that spot and then the the other part of that is, is it going to matter? Can Mahomes overcome a lot of that? He certainly has shown that he seems to be talented enough to do so. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm not envious of that Kansas City front office because you have to pay Mahomes, but then that makes your job that much tougher in having to, you know, be successful and hit on all of all those other guys. So, You know, it's going to be – I think Mahomes is the talent that can do it. I just am of the opinion that I I don't know if we're going to see a quarterback – a team be able to put together that sustained success 
when a quarterback is making that percentage of the salary cap. The only way that, way that I could see is if you removed the quarterback's salary number from the salary cap, you could pay your quarterback whatever you want, and then everyone, every other position in the roster collectively is capped at this amount. If that were the case, I'd be much more comfortable with it, but it is difficult to achieve that success when you have one person making that X amount of money. Now, Evan, we, you know, I don't think you would disagree that quarterback is clearly the most, you know, the, the most important position. You have to have that guy to compete and win those games in the first place, but then you also have to be shrewd and, and find those other guys. So Cleveland's front office has a, a very interesting predicament that they're in trying to figure that out. And so do a lot of other teams. Um, the, the Ravens are going to have to pay Lamar Jackson pretty soon. Deshaun Watson's Deshaun Watson's contract is coming up. You know, we, we just got done in green Bay. Aaron Rodgers was this transformational generational talent. Got to the super bowl once. I mean, but that was more of just like bad luck. You know, that was more of like, you know, just bad luck and bad timing. And it coincided with the rise of like other teams from the NFC, namely the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. But when I look at where Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are right now, they are clearly the class of the AFC. They're clearly the class of the AFC West because the rest of that division is either pressing the reset button at quarterback, moving to different cities, or they don't really know what they have in the young guy. Like in Denver, like we saw Drew Locke for a little bit, but we don't really know what they have with him. Right. Uh, on the other side, you've got Deshaun Watson. On the other side of the AFC, you've got Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, who are going to be really good. Um, if there's one team that I trust can pull it off, it would be Kansas City because Andrew Reid just has a way of working magic with, yeah, right. with, with whoever he gets. But... It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Kansas City if this is the one Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes ever gets to. I, I'm going to be stunned if he doesn't go to at least a couple more. No, I totally agree. And and Evan, hey, you said it. You know, we we kind of had that feeling about Aaron Rodgers, and you know, where are we at with him? So it is going to. I'm with you. You know. The way that he's played, what he showed us in the Super Bowl, it's so hard to not think that that guy's going to get there two and three more times, four more times, times. But you just don't know, and that's that's the beauty of it. That's why that's why we all you know tune in, and that's why it's fun to watch because you just really don't know. Well, uh, the CBA needs to be signed. Uh, like that's kind of what's holding up the Dak Prescott thing is they're trying to figure out where the CBA is going to fall, the new TV deals, the salary caps, but. Does a number exist that Patrick Mahomes could ask for that people would think is unreasonable? Does that number exist? And coming off of a Super Bowl, no. That number does not exist. Like if he said, I want $50 million guaranteed, do you think he'd get it? Yeah, I got news for you. I'd give it to him. Forget 40. I want 50. I mean, Mahomes, I'd give it to him. he could ask for anything he wants. And I feel like nobody would think it's unreasonable for him to do it. I don't I don't think it would be. Like I said, I'd cut the check, so I would too, because the alternative is saying no and just trying to find another guy who's just as good as Patrick Mahomes, which <laughs> right. I don't think Which those gonna, guys don't come along that often. Which I don't think you're gonna do. 
the final story that I want to talk about, which is like the funniest, most absurd story I've ever heard. So, Madison Bumgarner, once upon a time World Series pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, uh, he apparently has a secret life as a ch- as a champion cattle roper that he went under an alias named Mason Saunders and won almost 27 grand in cash doing rodeo events which makes me ask this question Cody what activity would you compete under a fake name for and what did you think about this story I thought it was hilarious Oh, that's one of the greatest stories I've ever seen. And and I don't know what that would be. You know, I I like to, I'm a, I'm a nerd and I like to, to spell words and do spelling bees, but I wouldn't do that under a fake name. Like, I'd be like, you know, I'll just, I'll just go enter it. Like the fact that he's doing it under a fake name and like, you don't want him to know it's Madison Bumgarner. I mean, how good is that? I mean, you don't think people would look at it and be like, Hey, aren't you Madison Bumgarner? Like the fact, you know, you look. You look a lot like Madison Bumgarner, who pitches in Major League Baseball. Like, how how was he able to do this and not get immediately recognized? Imagine if, like, Patrick Mahomes was trying to compete in rodeo events and didn't want people to know he's Patrick Mahomes. People would find out he's Patrick Mahomes. But it's also the hair. Right, that's the thing. How has nobody done it before now? Also, Patrick Mahomes. Like, hey, that's Madison Bumgarner. Patrick Mahomes has very distinctive hair. I don't think he can pull it off. Um... Like, he has very unique, distinctive hair, so I don't think Mahomes could pull it off. Um, I, I don't know how, like, he was able to do this without people recognizing he was a World Series champion baseball player, but the fact that they didn't just made this story even better. And the fact that he won, you know, the won the money when, you know, that's not something that he, you know, he's not, he's not hard up for cash. So it's just, it's amazing that he just goes in and wins events and, you know, he's, he's won that much money. It's, it's hilarious. It, it really is. I, I, I have to know, was there a part in that story where someone was like, Hey, no, has anyone ever told you, you look just like that guy that pitched for the giants? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I get that all the time, but I've never met him. Like, I, I that's the only yeah, way. Yeah, has to be. There has to be at least one story. I needed a little something to just sort of laugh at, like, like with the way that the week has gone and the the way the week has gone in sports with like the the Wilder Fury fight and the way that that ended, and all of the, and, you know, everybody feeling emotional with the with the Kobe with the Kobe Bryant memorial. You know, I just needed a little something that I could just sort of laugh at for a few minutes. And uh, thank you, Madison There's... Bumgarner. There's no doubt about it that that is one of those situations because I read that story and was like, wait a second, what? I got to read this again. This this can't be real. I, it, apparently it was, and he has the 27 grand <laughs> to, to, to show for it. Uh, there you I, go. I think that's a that's a good place for us to, to wrap up this episode. Uh, Cody, uh, is there anything else that you want to say before before we go? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we covered it. You know, NBA chat, getting ready for the combine and trying to find, trying to invent reasons why Joe Burrow shouldn't be the number one pick. I, I think we, uh, I think we covered it. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we did too. Uh, next week, next week on the show, I have a bit of a, I have a little bit of a surprise for Cody. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to give it away, but I think that Uh-oh. he's, I, I think that he's really going to enjoy it because we're going to cover a sport that we have not covered 
on the show. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're going to talk about college basketball. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're going to talk about college basketball and what have been the highlights and lowlights of the season. You see, I can't keep surprises. I'm going to find a way to, I'm going to find a way to tell you. Uh, now I see why I'm not trusted with like surprise birthday party invites. Cause I'm really bad at keeping secrets. Hey, that's all right. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk hoops. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun. Yep. So next week we're going to get college basketball talk. Uh, thank you for Tony Wynn for our podcast artwork. Thank you for Cody Clark for joining us on the show. And coming up is the from the booth podcast, silver anniversary show. We're getting really close to 25 Cody. We're getting really close to yes. 25. We're getting there. We're on. We're on. We're on a roll. We're almost there. Yep. So for Cody Clark, I'm Evan Ocean saying so long, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>